you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Dad Is Not A Noun. Happy Monday evening. My name is Ishmael. I hope everyone's doing well. I have two great guests because I want to touch on this subject when it comes to fatherhood and policy. I know for the longest time, for what the past three years, Black fatherhood has been going viral, whether if it's on social media, on commercials, they're, we're everywhere which is important, but also I think the most important thing is policy. Like the things that's intangible that we can come together and put something together to uplift black fathers that's left behind. And so my two guests are just just great at this subject. And so that's why I have him on. My first guest, I call him Uncle Derek, but his name is Derek Phillip. He is the CEO and founder of the Real Dads Network. Basically, two dec- almost two decades of creating resources for Black fathers in New York and just 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 a- across the country, and then also, again, the returning champ back again, Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali. Google him because if you don't know this brother, you, you need to know this brother because this brother's been like serving when it comes to just 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 laying down the smackdown of truth and wisdom and. Just smacking white supremacy in the face. <laughs> in words, not in fight, but in words. Let me get it right, because I don't want people to take my words out of context. But I welcome you guys. Thank you for joining. How you guys doing? Great, Ish. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, what I want to start with is perception. Because often perception creates policy. If you go back to the drug war, the perception of drug users created these chaotic laws to put a lot of people in prison. So I want to touch on when it comes to the idea of the deadbeat dad became the perception and also became policy that still hinders black fathers today. All right. So I guess, I, um, well, <laughs> in regards to a, a lot of that stuff, um, it just stems, a lot of stuff comes out of the Monaghan Report when they started looking at um, the black family. And they start talking about how in terms of the black family, we have this huge issue going around this national tragedy where black men are not taking care of their children. So therefore they started creating this alarm that, you know, and then we had the black community start started jumping in, you know, you had William Ryan's book, um, you know, Blaming the Victim, start saying, listen, yeah, we may not have black men there, but we do have uncles, we do have cousins. So we are, they do have men in their lives. So that became that back and forth thing. But I think the reality is that when we're looking at all that stuff, really the policy, the issue really is about systemic racism, which has really took a lot of black men out of the picture. So it's like, and then they started creating these programs that says, you know, in order to keep families intact, you can't have a father in the picture. When we see Claudine, you know, here it is, this family is struggling. You have this man who's saying, I want to be there to help this family. No, you can't be in the picture to help this family because the whole purpose and the, it was the design was to destroy the black family. You know, so a lot of the attacks were against, um, you know, black um, men. And sometimes we buy into this false concept of what it is in terms of what America say black men are. Like everybody talks about now that there are 70% of black children that are born to single mothers. That is totally 100% incorrect. You know, because statistics 
children that are born to single unwed mothers. It just says unwed mothers. So the reality is that um, over 60% of black children are growing up with their fathers. That is a fact. But when we buy into these, these false beliefs, because also behind it is also policies where people start saying, okay, now we can get money if we say that these fathers are not there and we can create these programs. We can create programs like WIC. Well, WIC means women and children, women, infant and children. So fathers are totally left out of the picture. And what we're seeing now is that you have a lot of fathers, one who are actively involved, two um, who are still there, but we have a lot of families that are living in poverty. And a lot of fathers really need resources and support, but the system is not designed to really support them and give them resources to help them along as well as their family. So part of the thing for us is to look at some of these lies um, that have been told, but also for us to kind of like collectively come together to say, how do we take care of ourselves? Mm -hmm. True, true. Uh, I mean, Doc, go ahead, Doc. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, so that we have the fullness of the narrative, you know, that uh, as Brother Derek just shared, you know, there are a couple different dynamics that go on. So historically, you know, we know that the black codes uh, and the things that were going on in, in, during Jim Crowism, I say Jim Crowism is still alive and well, it just, you know, morphed into other ways of presenting itself. And this is one of the ways that it has presented itself. You know, those laws that were put in place were intentional about weakening the black family and breaking up the black family. So we need to be mindful of that. But that wasn't the totality of the situation. And it still plays out today, although we have an evolution happening. The newspapers, which were the primary way that folks got information at that time before radio came in uh, in a significant way, also be reinforced the false narratives. And because of those false narratives, then people are able to put policy in place because instead of having hard statistics, they would utilize what was going on in the perception space, as folks have already called out. And that began to drive uh, and reinforce racist beliefs. And those racist beliefs then began to frame out these sets of actions that would play out for decades upon decades upon decades. Um, so that's the other part of it um, that we have to be able to unpack and dismantle as well. And that's why having platforms like this and the others that are owned by folks of color or those allies who stand in authentic partnership and making sure that there's truth that's being shared because we have, you know, now over a hundred plus years of false narratives that we have got to dismantle. And we see how easy it is for false narratives to, to find fertile ground and to take root. You know, we can't be watering those. You know, when we see what's going on with COVID, when we see what's going on with voter suppression and all these other types of things, that's being fueled by false narratives. And those same types of false narratives have been a part of the breaking up of the black family, of the uh, dehumanization of the black man, uh, trying to address, you know, to impact his masculinity and his ability uh, to be able to give back. That's the false narrative. We know that brothers have been showing up all this time, um, actually giving back. Uh, and for those who haven't, you know, we have a responsibility to work with them to help them to get the footing that they may need underneath of them. Because I've never met very few people. Uh, who did not want to take care of their family, who did not want their children to be able to run and hug them and look them in the eyes uh, with, with happiness uh, and respect. Um, and, you know, we've just got to make sure that that continues to be where the spotlight is. But how do we um, work on a system that's never kind of put together that benefits us? So how do we work beyond that parameter? Well, you... Go ahead, Brother Derek. Um, you know, I think in terms of where we are, I think sometimes we have to look at um, what we have. I think we have more than we think we have. So I think that right now when we talk about social media, we have a lot of us that control our own platforms. You have a lot of us who have um, more followers and more viewers than some of the newspapers and the news. You know, so when we can sort of come together collectively and say, it's not about me individually, but it's about us collectively and really start presenting some of those messages, those positive messages and start talking about uniting because what's happening is that so too many of us are buying into these false narratives, but also we're buying into this whole concept about me, my, 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 my brand. You know, I can't, I can't support you. I can't work with you because it's about, it might mess up my brand. 
I can't post this on my page because it might mess up my brand. So we have more than enough, but we have to come together collectively to say, this is what we're going to do as a group. We're going to dismantle some of these false narratives. And we're going to make sure that all of us know I'm going to continue to push it out. I'm going to give it to Ish. I'm going to give it to Dr. Ali. We're all going to be on the same page and work together to dismantle this stuff. Even when it comes to voting, you know, a lot of times, even in terms of black men, black men don't vote. Black men collectively don't vote. And that's why in terms of um, when we were doing the real dance vote, a lot of black fatherhood organizations didn't get behind it because they felt as though it wasn't something that was theirs. You know, so, and that's one of the problems is that we're doing things where we're dividing ourselves as opposed to saying, you know, at the end of the day, it's about what's in the best interest, you know, in terms of us as a people. What you're doing with the hip hop coalition, um, hip hop um, caucus, that whole concept was about, we have to get out there, we have to change policies, we have to vote. So a lot of the young people got on board with that. And not only vote, but the whole thing also is we got to build institutions. You know, and that's the thing is that we have more than enough, but we are so divided. We are so, in terms of the way we think, we're still wrapped up in this my, 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 where it's like at the end of the day, man, it's about us collectively. We put our hands together and say, I'm going to win because we win, not because I win that I'll try to bring people along. It's about us collectively. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, Brother Phillips just, you know, he, he just he just put it all out there for you. I mean, and it's not that difficult to do. Sometimes we think it's really difficult. You know, if we got if we said every Friday or every Monday, whatever day you decide that we're going to pull content together and we're going to have twenty five thousand, just twenty five thousand black men, fathers, grandfathers, you know, everybody who's in the mix who is going to retweet the information. Um, or go on Facebook and, and and like it or whatever, you would actually be trending. Yeah. So if you're trending, <laughs> then people are going to pay attention to it. They're going to come. They're going to, uh, you know, sort of investigate what the content is. And you can begin to actually make sure that you are feeding them the true narrative yeah. of what's going on. You can highlight those who are doing exceptional work and then also help them to understand you know, what the real statistics are uh, of so many people who are giving back and who are being transformational, who never get a spotlight. So we could put a spotlight on the truth if we decided to. But uh, as Brother Phillips said, you know, sometimes folks get a bit nervous and they're like, well, if, if I don't know if I can support you because I'm trying to do this or that, or I'm going to get a $12 check if I don't do this <laughs> or that. And, and not understanding the, the totality of the power that exists inside of our communities. And, and that's the hardest thing for our, so many people, not just folks of color to understand mm -hmm. is that, you know, that you literally have power unless you give it away. I talk about it all over the planet. And it's not that hard to actually utilize that power to really begin to make real change happen. Yeah. I mean, and you look at, you know, and I go back to 1995. We didn't have social media. You tell me how the hell you're going to get a million men in D.C. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> black men in DC. You didn't have social media, so now knowing what we know now, the power of social media, we can, and we have some people who have followers of five million, ten. We can't get millions of people together, black men together, through social media to be on the same page. No, I totally agree with that, and I think uh, a little element is complacency. How do we kind of? push complacency a lot away because i think that's one thing that hinders us as like for example like um just election that just passed we got a lot of black people out to vote and they think like oh that's my job is done but that's the easy part the hard part is to stay focused on like what policy do you want implemented that's going to benefit the community. So can, can you kind of touch on that complacency element? Well, I mean, you know, complacency can be uh, defined in lots of different ways because folks give back in different ways. So we've got to make sure that we understand that there's lots of value um, in different things that people might do. You know, sometimes we only want to give the gold medal to the things that have been the traditional criteria for getting a gold medal in all aspects of life. Um, so we got to begin to, you know, reframe 
what success looks like or what engagement looks like or all these different types of titles that we put on that. Um, and we've also got to help people to understand what the wins can look like, um, which we don't do enough about. I mean, nobody teaches you in high school or junior high school or even college. Lots of times we're, we're taught a, 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 a European model, right? Which has some value. I'm not going to say it doesn't have any value. Um, and that's the way that we operate. Um, and the other part of it, the issue that we have to do is we have to also make sure that so many brothers know that one, they're valued, and two, that we're building trust inside of our community. So I was, you know, a student at the time of the Million Man March and played a role in helping to, you know, do my tiny part around organizing. And, you know, everybody trusted each other, right? You know, folks didn't know if a million people was going to show up, but we knew that we were committed um, and that there were commonalities. There was a set of commonalities that everybody could get behind. And I think that's just another part of it is that we have to figure out ways, one, to build trust, but two, we all got to anchor what we're asking people to actually get behind and things that are going to actually yield positive results. Um, you know, and that's why when you go and look at voting in, in the last election, you had a certain percentage of brothers uh, who didn't vote, uh, but you also had another percentage of brothers who voted for someone, and they have every right to, uh, who did not necessarily reflect what we would think um, are the priorities for our communities, or they never showed any, uh, you know, care for our communities in the past, except when they needed to try and get your vote. Yeah. Um, so we have to do a better job. And when I say we, I'm talking about the collective yeah. we, um, of helping brothers to understand that we have rights, and part of those rights is lifting our expectations. Yeah. Um, because we lower our expectations in, in our community way too often. And, and I get where some of that comes from. You know, we're so used to struggling and fighting for some bare minimums that that's where we operate sometimes. And then there are the other folks who say, well, no, it doesn't have to be this way. And, you know, we were having this conversation around policy and we'll unpack that, which plays a role in helping us to meet the raising of those expectations. And we have to build that into the accountability process. Um, but, you know, we can change this dynamic, but I think it's, it comes down to trust. It comes down into a collective commonality of where we're trying to go. Um, and, and then it comes to some folks going to also have to roll up your sleeves, even yeah. if you're tired, because um, right. our forefathers knew what tired was being about. <laughs> you know, right. I, I get I get, you know, folks, because you got additional mental stressors and all these other types of things going on. Let me just call it out because, you know, I believe in real talk. If folks <laughs> don't right? like it, you, you can always uh, you can you can DM me or whatever you need to do. And we, we can get we can get at it. But <laughs> the reality of the situation is, is that, you know, and we ain't talking about 150 years ago. You know, our fathers, grandfathers, you know, they worked double shifts. Yeah. And then sometimes they had a garden or they yeah. had to go and do other things in the community to help hold it down. And, 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 they, and they had all of the external pressures that were happening from racism. Yeah. So I get, you know, we all have worked, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Some of us work 18 hours a day. But we also got to say, you know what? If we really want our communities to be all that we know that they can be and are, yeah. then that means that we just got to put that little bit of extra in it. We got to make sure that, you know, our, our sons and nieces and nephews and everybody else, you know, knows that when they take the baton, that, that change, change can really happen because we're doing the work in this moment. That's mm -hmm. true. And, and I agree wholeheartedly, you know, and just to add to what you're saying as well. And I think another component is that we have to get back to that history part. And I think when it comes to us, we sort of um, detest ourselves from the history. You know, the reason why we're where we are today is because of those who have come before us. You know, so when we look at it, I'm just going to keep going back to, you know, the Million Man March. It's like, listen, you had 1.7 million black men that registered to vote. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, so they were, so we have an example. You know, we have an example of a collective people coming together with a common agenda who, yeah, I know we can talk about, there were some issues with people saying in terms of the leadership, but at the end of the day, a lot of people left that march 
and they made a pledge and they were committed to going back to their communities to uplift it. So a lot of all out of Million Man March. When we talk about the Million Father March in schools, dad take your child to school. That came out of the Million Man March. You know, we talk about Eagle Academy. That came out of the, million, the spirit of the Million Man March. You know, when we talk about the fact that, you know, 25,000 babies were adopted, that came out of the Million Man March. So a lot of these things that we talk about today, you know, have this spirit of the Million Man March that had the spirit of black men saying, you know, it's not about me individually, but it's about us collectively. And that's the stuff that we got to really come back to. And that whole thing about just trusting each other, you know, we got to be able to trust each other, but we also got to just understand that, you know, a lot of us younger generation have sort of almost disconnected from the older generation. So we got to bridge that gap and sort of bring us, bring us together. And I think it's on us, the older generation to make that happen. Right. And then the one thing too, is that numbers never lie. Cause I know that's the one thing you know, you were pushing, I think, was it a year ago, was the Census Bureau. Yeah. Talk about that. Man, we did the, um, you know, one of the things, see, I, I'm this person where I'm like, I can't just say something if I don't attach some action to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say, you know, you talk about this. So you got to, we got to do something. You got to take action. You know, so we said, you know, with the black, with the census, it's like black people, we have to complete the census. A lot of funding is geared towards the census. So in a lot of black people are like, well, I don't want people to know my business. I don't trust them. Trust. I get it. We don't trust them. But the reality is this is the game we're in. And we got to play by these rules. We got to figure out how to master these rules so that it benefits us. You know, so you can't like not afford to not complete the census. So we created this um, Black Fathers United for the Census. So we're able to get a lot of the um, social media Black Father groups on board, which is great. But the thing is, is the sustainability. And that's the other issue we have in terms of we'll do things for the moment, but we don't have that sustainability. You know, and that's another area where we're lacking in terms of that sustainability. So that's one of the things, again, I'm gonna take some responsibility and say it has to be from the older generation that we have to kind of like make sure that we go back and really educate um, you know, our younger brothers about the importance of, you know, and not just educate, but we have to model. You know, because it's not, you know, when we talk so much, we always talk about what we need to do. It's not what we need to do. It's what we need to model. Right. So just let that model be that, you know, lesson. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to say kind of look at the model. And that's yeah. another example. And I, and I definitely understand that because I think that's one of the things that I think if you think about uh, Samantha Am uh, Abr uh, Abrams' um, struggle is mm -hmm. like they got all these black people to vote. But she has an issue of keeping them abroad to say, hey, the job's not done. You yeah. know, this is other things we got to do. You can't just vote and just walk away. We have to create a system. We have to create a farm system, something, that, a, a level of consistency. And I think that's the one thing that was frustrated with you, too, is with the Census Bureau. It's like, yeah, you got to fill it out, but it's still more to this process, too. You got to vote. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, so. Let, let me just add something to what Brother Philip shared with you, because I know a lot of brothers and sisters are, you know, didn't want to fill out the census because they was worried that the government would get your information. So let me just tell you all something. So I worked at the highest levels in the government for a number of years. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked for federal agencies and I advised White Houses. They got your information. <laughs> <laughs> We just need to let that go, right? I mean, the majority of your information, like 99% of it, folks can get to or already got. So the question is, as Brother Philip shared, is how are we going to make sure that we are utilizing the system? You know, we can begin to unpack it, dismantle it, and rebuild parts of it. And, and, and I agree that that should happen. But if we're not in the mix, then it is going to continue to benefit others. And of course, your vote is so critically important. But as Brother Phillips just said, there's two parts to this. One, you got to get engaged with that census because that's where the resources are being allocated and they're going to go for all kinds of things that are going on inside of your life. And the second part is the voting consistently. If we get black and brown and young people to vote consistently for a decade, you will get the right policies in place if 
you also make sure that we're putting the right people in mm -hmm. office. And that means that we have to be really engaged with the vetting of folks. They can look like us, but we still need to be vetting them. And we need to make sure that they mm -hmm. understand yeah. very clearly that we're going to give you this shot. It's almost like when you get a chance to, you know, uh, you <laughs> might get a shot on, on to join the football team or right. the dance group uh, or whatever it is. You get a shot. Now, what you do with that shot, it, it, we watching you. And if you're not going to do it right, then we're going to find somebody else. And you should give consideration to running for office yourself, you know, whether it's on the local, the county, the state or the federal level. Because if you're looking for somebody who's real, ain't many people going to be realer than you. But of course, you got to convince other people and you got to show folks that you're going to actually do the right things. So that's that two parts. And then, you know, then we can get to the policy part because the policy part don't start until we get the right people in office and consistently have them in there because policy ain't an overnight thing. We can begin to plant the right <laughs> seeds, but then you got to continually water them time and time and time again. And that will also change the dynamics inside of our communities. I, I see Brother Phillips. I think he, he about to uh, drop some more knowledge on y'all. Yeah, right? no. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you said that, um, Dr. Ali, because that is a long process. And that's one of the things sometimes we think everything happens overnight. You know, and like I say, at the end of the day, you know, it's not about us individually. And we have to look ahead. We're planting these seeds because we want the tree to grow. And when that tree finally grows, we may not be there. That's but right. that's okay. Because those who have come before us did the work so we can even be free. So we can even have the opportunity. And they knew they weren't going to be there, but they sacrificed their lives to make sure that we have the opportunity. So we're going to, we have to do that same sacrifice, but and we have to put in the work. And then also putting in the work, uh, and you know, you have all these black father organizations all over the country. Why have you seen a huge advocacy group? going to Washington to focus on policies that benefits black fathers. Why do you see there a dynamic of a struggle with that? Because you see other organizations, other groups, they have accuracy groups, they go to Washington, they pull on those politicians and they get what they want. Why is there a struggle in the black father organizations when it comes to that? Man, I'm, I'm gonna take full responsibility. <laughs> You know, I'm going to take responsibility for that. And the reason why I'm going to take responsibility for that, because I consider myself to be one of the leaders in the field. You know, and I think I have to, on my end, do a better job of, you know, really leading people towards that. So and I know we have a lot of young people who are started getting into this fatherhood space, but a lot of them are approaching it from, which is fine, they're approaching it from the, um, the business of fatherhood. You know, so there is a business of father because now it's like I can have all these numbers. I can get sponsors, you know, so I can sell my shirts, my merch. So I get that, you know, and there's nothing wrong with making money, you know, but they're missing that other component, which is it's about the collectiveness. It's still about the group. So I would have to say me personally, I have to I have to do a better job of really leading those people in the right direction. Can, can I can I be transparent, Uncle Derek? Can I be transparent, please? Okay. I've been behind the scenes. And I'm going to be honest. You tried your darnest to do the best you can. But sometimes what happens is when people are not listening, they're not listening. Because you, you, you have a scenario where people already make their mind up. This is where they're focused, their path on. And there's nothing much you could do. You can show them the, 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 the blueprint, the strategy. You can be Bill Belichick. I want like five Super Bowls. Just do this and it's going to work. But they're not going to follow it. So I, I don't want you to put the full responsibility on yourself because it's not fair. Because again, you've been in this space for two decades. And I'm going to be truly transparent. It's like people need to honestly come to you when it comes to things like that. Instead of thinking that they know everything or they, they play like they don't know but they do know. So I'm just going to put that out there. So don't put that well, on. <laughs> no, but we have, as, when, uh, when, as, as, as the elders, as the older people, we have to we take responsibility because we know that at the end of the day, in terms of change, change is going to be made from us. We're going to model that behavior. And if you don't get this person, you know you're going to get people along the way who's going to make that difference. So yeah, you can but, do it. 
I'll just say as somebody who's led in, in other movements, um, you, you got to have that support also um, from others to, to keep you lifted up, yeah. uh, to, to keep you surrounded and protected. Because um, sometimes when you push, and, and especially when you're pushing on something that, that is changing what, what uh, the popular society might believe, you know, folks got to just make sure that they are giving you all that energy and love uh, that's necessary. And then there's a couple of other pieces also, and Brother Phillips, I mean, you, you're a leader in this space, so this may or may not be necessary. But um, I think that there's some responsibility also um, from the foundations and the funders in this space to also make sure that the organizations have that capacity that allows them to reach the masses, that allows them to have the space and the freedom to work on policy on the state level and the federal level, that allows folks to create the association uh, who will then be on Capitol Hill five days a week or seven days a week, you know, working with those congressmen and women and senators um, as they're crafting legislation, as they're making decisions about resources are going to flow. Um, so, you know, there are a number of different components, I think, that, that are critical to helping your leadership and others um, to be able to, to be that transformative force um, that you have been doing and to be able to expand that. Yeah, no, good point. Good point. And I totally agree with that. And when it comes to transformation, when it comes to policy, um, most of the time, it starts on a local level. It has to start yeah. on a local level. And I know that's what you're doing there in New York. Uh, so talk about some of the policies that, you know, you're kind of pushing on in New York that could probably start from New York that people can catch on all over the country. Because I know the one that comes to mm -hmm. mind is the the same parenting. Oh, yeah, parenting. Yeah, the parenting which is in every state, and the only state that passed it is Kentucky. Kentucky. So talk about that. Yeah, the shared parenting bill um, simply states that if you have a mother and father who have a child and they're separate, but providing there are no issues of domestic violence, no issues of child abuse, custody should start at 50-50. So there's only one state that has that on a, that passed that law and that was Kentucky and that was passed I think in 2018. You know, so when we look at this issue of um, policy, one of the reasons why that law has been tough to pass in New York, and it's been on the book in New York for over 20 years. So a number of senators and assembly people have sponsored the bill. But one of the issues that we have, and this is around the country, every state just about has a shared parenting bill on the books. But one of the issues that we have is that a lot of people want to not aware of the bill itself. You know, so um, so that's one of the things that we're trying to do. Just one, bring awareness. Um, and then two, once you start bringing the awareness and you've been on the Hill, so you know all this, you know, you bring out awareness and you got to build your coalition, mm -hmm. you know, and to get a bill passed, you know, you have to get senators on board. You have to get assembly people on board, you know, who are going to say, you know, I'm going to be behind this bill, you know, and that requires a lot of work. And that can take sometimes years to get them to actually want to sponsor a bill because and you're talking about a bill where some people are looking at it from a, as being a bill for men. So part of the thing is that this is not a bill for fathers. This is a bill that just simply states, based on the research, the research states that children do better when both parents are actively involved. You know, so to so build this coalition, you're not talking about just getting fathers, you know, you're talking about women groups as well. You know, there's a group shared on um, women, women for shared parenting. So you need all of these people on board to get a bill passed, but a lot of people are not aware of the bill. So what we're trying to do one is bring awareness and also get, um, I've met with a couple of senators, I've met with a couple of assembly people to get them, to try to get them on board, but you're not gonna get them on board until you build that coalition and you start holding people accountable. And you start saying like, listen, I know, you know your term is coming up. These are the numbers we have. If you are not gonna get behind what we're doing, then we are not going to support your bill. You know, and that's why a lot of when you talk about a lot of the politicians, they tend to gravitate towards women because women vote. Mm -hmm. One politician said, listen, why am I going to get behind that to push that when here it is, men don't vote. And you have the you know, organizations for national organization for women who are saying, listen, we vote. 
So any policies that you pass, and even when it comes to fatherhood programs, all the programs have things in there about domestic violence because they've stated that men are violent and we wanna make sure any fatherhood program that you do, that you have that as part of your policy. Mm. Wow. Go ahead, Brother Phillips. I'm sorry, it was a delay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's like, but that's, but that's the whole thing. It's like, in terms of, we have to bring awareness, but people have to come out and vote, but we also have to build coalitions. Mm -hmm. I think, I think um, the other part is looking at these opportunities that exist in some of these bills that we know there's a lot of attention on and making sure that we're building uh, content and criteria inside of them as well. So you've got the American Families Plan, that $1.8 trillion um, that's supposed to go to that. So how do we make sure um, that as those dollars are flowing from the feds to the states and then down to the counties and to the local level, that there's real accountability in there for strengthening our families and for also finding ways of, of strengthening uh, father's relationship in that space. You know, there are a number of different components that, that will help men to be in a better position um, so hopefully that they can continue to give back even even a greater way uh, to their families. And then when you look at the infrastructure bills um, and beginning to think more critically about, you know, how does that once again help to strengthen families of color? How does that create new opportunities yeah. um, so that fathers have additional resources that they can invest in their families? Um, so I think, you know, we just got to figure out where all the sets of opportunities are so that when each bill moves forward, um, that there's a, a piece that's in there um, that, that strengthens you know, um, families in the greater context, um, and then also making sure that we're also zeroing in on how do we help to strengthen uh, black men in the process. And, and that goes back to what you were saying earlier, is just having using this platform where we're talking about this, and we're all sharing this information throughout. So now it's like, these are the pictures that go viral or the, the, the stories that go viral that we're having, you know, the educational stories, as opposed to when it comes to us, it's always about, we're looking at these men, you know, they have their kids, you know, it's nice, they're hugging their kids and they walk into the store, they're playing. What you get on social media is not the full story. Yeah. Okay, that, that is a made up story. That's what they want you to see. A lot of those dads that you are seeing that are hugging their kids, that are playing, a lot of them are going through a lot of stuff. Wow. They're dealing with a lot of mental issues, mental health issues, anxiety, depression. You know, they're going through issues in terms of child support. They're just going through just issues in terms of unemployment. So a lot of them, you know, are just going through a lot. But yet when we look at this social media, we're like, wow, they're smiling. Yeah. That's not the whole story. A lot of men are struggling. And a lot of men need support because the way this system is designed is that they talk about the absence of black fathers being the problem. No, the absence of black fathers are not the problem. The problem is the absence of um, support and resources for black fathers. That's the problem. And do you think one of the biggest problems, because again, it's, it's this legacy of strap your boots up and just figure it out your own. And so because of that is embedded in us for the longest time, that's why you do you think that plays a role too? Well, it plays a role because we, 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 we've been socialized to view things a certain way. So therefore we think that as a man, you know, I have to do this. I don't need, I don't need help. You know, I gotta go, I gotta take this journey myself. And that's why we have our real dads club meeting. The whole thing with that group, it's about men saying, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. Vulnerable is actually your strength. When you're saying, you know what, I need help. You know, I'm going through a situation with my child. I'm going through a situation with the mother, um, you know, with my wife, with my significant other. When you can say that and say, I need help and have people that can support you, that's the strength. But when you're holding it in and you feel as, as a man, you know, I, I, I have to do this. You know, as men, we've been socialized so much where we focus on everything on the outside that we don't focus on ourselves. Mm -hmm. We make sure everyone else is taken care of, but we don't take care of ourselves. And the first thing is that if you really want to be this strong dad to your family and community, you have to take care of yourself first. Yeah. How are you going to uplift the family if you don't have the strength to do it? Yeah. You know, so, but those are the things that we have to, you know, that's why it's important for men to just really engage in conversations, real conversations with other men. And we don't really have those spaces to really do that. That's so true.
You got something to say, Doc? <laughs> no, I, I totally get what Brother Phillips is saying because, well, one, we know in our community in totality uh, in dealing with mental health stressors has never been something that we were allowed to talk about, right? It was always taboo. Sisters always had other sisters to talk to. Thankfully, that's a blessing. Um, where brothers, you know, you, you never were allowed to show any weakness. You know, you can't no. show weakness sometimes inside your house or outside your house because right. somebody coming for you. That ain't always the case. But, you know, it, it does happen. And then you have all these uh, all these because uh, everybody knows I got a public health background, you know, so I understand how these stressors then translate. You know, they translate into cancers. They translate uh, into liver and kidney diseases. They transfer into hypertension and, and a number of other things. Um, and so when you understand the totality of that, and then you overlay that with the fact of the wealth gap that exists inside of our community, where, you know, lots of times, whoever is a breadwinner or winners in family won't go to the doctor until the last minute, um, yeah. which then, you know, causes all these other types of, of, of situations, because now you have even stronger sets of economic um, things that are on top of you um, because before when you could have got some help early on which would have cost less and made that initial investment now you're spending a huge amount of money on the back end or you don't do anything which is for far too many people and you're actually shrinking your life which causes additional stressors in yep. the family um, so there's all the cyclical stuff that goes on that when we're not able to actually begin to address something when it when it's first starting or in the early stages um you know then then it causes us so much additional pain uh, and trauma you know for sometimes for years to come and then we teach our kids that pass it on Watch us. generational trauma <laughs> yeah so they're like well dad didn't you know go to the doctor or dad didn't talk to somebody when he was stressed out or dad didn't take time off from work because he was always grinding because the system had set up where he could only work in a certain strata where he had to work two jobs or mom as well. And um, so we got that dynamic that goes on when we pass it from generation to generation to generation. Uh, and it continues to weaken the structures, the infrastructure uh, underneath of the family. And and, um, and this has been a, a great conversation. Um, what do you see are the three important policies that black fathers need to put to the table when it comes to policy wise? Mm. Boy, that's a, there's so many policies. <laughs> <laughs> but you, like the three, cause I know how government works. You're not going to get everything you want, but what are the three critical issues that let's say will be the next thing if we get black fathers to come together and be an advocacy group and start pitching these policies to to local or or even the federal what are the three key policies you think well i think what i'm going to say i'm going it's going to be not the three policies but it's just going to be i think um we need to hold the government accountable so if you put something in the books we need to hold you accountable for it. I'm going to just say there is a law that was passed last August 20th called the Commission on the Social Status of Black Men and Boys. Mm. Frederick uh, Frederick Wilson was a senator. Um, no, she was an assembly person that sponsored it in Florida. Rubio sponsored it um, on the Senate side, and they both passed. Trump signed it into law in August 2020. So now this is a law and this law states that historically federal agencies have created barriers and obstacles so black men and boys were not able to succeed. And they talked about it in terms of fatherhood, they talked about it in terms of education, um, in terms of the ju judicial system. So we need to bring awareness to this law and we all need to be aware of this law. And we need to say, we need to hold you accountable in regards to what comes out of this law. So if you're gonna put this as a law, we wanna make sure you uphold the law and hold you accountable mm -hmm. to remove those barriers and obstacles from all those different agencies 
that have created barriers and obstacles so that men have created policies so that black men and boys are not able to advance. So we want to make sure we hold you accountable and that we remove all these obstacles and barriers. What you got, Doc? Uh, my three things, the first one would be mental health. Uh, I think it's critically important. So there is a mental health caucus that's on Capitol Hill. Um, I participated, you know, every now and then. I haven't been to every event that they've done, but they do send me information and I've worked with some of the congresspersons who are a part of that. But I have never seen a specific focus on African-American men. I have seen really great work that's happening in this space. And, and there may have been, and I just didn't see that particular one. But that means there needs to be more because I have, you know, been in and out. Um, so that would be one of the areas that I'd like to see uh, there be more attention and more resources. And then those resources actually translating to the ground. The other part is infrastructure and jobs. Um, and the reason I say that because we have to live in healthy communities, right? So whether we're talking about the transportation for people being able to actually get to work um, or you know, or the, the housing that's so necessary, all of these things can, can lessen the stress in our lives and can help us to build wealth. And of course the job aspect is tied to that infrastructure bill, if you will. And I hope folks will go and really take a strong look at what's being proposed uh, and then make sure you're engaging both on the federal and the state level with folks about what your expectations are as those dollars make it to the states. And then the other part is the education, right? So we know that education can be transformational, but we gotta make sure that the education uh, sets of opportunities that are being created are created in a way that resonate with folks um, mm -hmm. and are not necessarily just the traditional systems that are often utilized. So we gotta get resources into the hands of folks who know how to talk to folks, who know how to reach folks, who know what's going on in folks' life. Um, and, and I think if we do those three things, and I'm sure there are others that are critically important, I think it begins to make sure that we've got a stronger foundation underneath of us. Every time a president comes on or a number of other folks, they talk about infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. Well, there is an infrastructure inside the infrastructure, and that is the family. Those are the individuals that we got to lift up. And we got to make sure that they have what's necessary. Sisters will appreciate, you know, us making sure that we are getting stronger and healthier uh, and being able to continue to lead if uh, if we are leading. And if we are, you know, there are realities. There are some brothers who are falling behind that we are reaching back and pulling them up and helping to make sure there's real accountability there. And it all comes back down to that policy stuff and to voting and, of course, our own personal accountability. But when people say personal accountability, if the other things are out of whack, it makes it real hard for you to have your own personal <laughs> accountability when you ain't got clean air to breathe or when your kids is drinking dirty water or if you can't catch the train or the bus to be able to get to work. So that's why I pull all these things together. We have to have a comprehensive strategy. And like we were talking about earlier, a part of that comprehensive strategy is bringing all these different organizations together who are gonna be authentic in this space holding each other accountable and also magnifying, you know, the, the greatness that exists inside of black men um, and, and actually putting that uh, in the forefront um, so that we balance out. You know, when folks throw something, you know how it is. You can do 10 great things. If you do one bad thing, people will focus on that bad thing. So we need, you know, 10,000 uh, true authentic stories about the greatness that's going on by black men so that no matter who it is brings in the other stuff, we don't neglect it. We make sure that we analyze in it, but we don't let it throw us off of where we need to go. That's right, and that's so true. And hopefully this starts the discussion with other people, because this conversation <laughs> needs to happen. And that's the one thing that kind of makes me frustrated is that we don't have this conversation. You know, we, 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 we talk about like why Disney and Netflix don't show more images of black fathers and this and that. Which, yeah, I understand you want to see more yourself on TV, but what about the stuff that affects you on an everyday basis? You know, and I think that's important. And I think this conversation needs to go on. Um, before we end this, any words of wisdom? Go ahead, brother. <laughs> you, uh, my, my whole thing is just always about, you know, you know, if, if, if everyone just can do a little part. We all have the capacity to just do something, you know? And my thing is 
if you can just do something that'll just be, you know, that'll help in regards to the whole picture. Just play your part, whatever part that is, whatever little role that is. If everybody does a little part, then we can win an Oscar because to win an Oscar requires everyone just to do a little something. We have the person in the lighting, we have the person in the script, we have the person with the wardrobe, we have the person who's the lead, we have the supporting cast. You have all these different roles and there's a role for everyone, but we can all win at the end, but we all have to just play our parts. We have to play it well. Mm. The fullness of the narrative, the fullness yeah. of the narrative. Mm. Well, I'll share the same closing remarks that I've shared. This year I will have reached 1 million people, not on TV and not on the radio, that stuff I've done, but you know, just actually you know, in conversations and speeches and all this other type of stuff. And it's that you have power unless you give it away. And we have to translate that power uh, into strengthening our communities and, and all the forms and fashions that are necessary. And if we don't do that, someone will utilize your power to continue to try and deteriorate our communities uh, and to take opportunities away from ourselves and our future generations. And that's that's it. I don't have I don't have anything to say after that. <laughs> that's perfect. But again, I want to thank you guys for jumping on. This was a great conversation, and hopefully, we could do this in the future. Um, I'm just gonna put this out there, uh, Doc. You're welcome to come to the Real Dash Club. Uh, they would love to have you come speak. You know, cause you know they're a bunch of great guys, and they would yeah. love to hear your words of wisdom. You, yes, got me. you got me. Whenever you need me. We're going we're gonna to set it up. We're going to set it up. <laughs> we got it it up. You see that? We got it on recording. <laughs> I'll just play. But fellas, thank you very much. And we're out. Dr. Peace. Ali, thank you. And Ish, thank you, man. Appreciate you so much, man. All right. Shout out to the A in Brooklyn. <laughs> so for you. Yeah, yo, there whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, hinder discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded, prepare you For all of the above that I'm never letting get near you But still in all, give you every advantage I found Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown And since the baton was passed, I've been down Cause failing's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all my message to any dad, man, first off, know that, yeah, it, it is a hard job, but it's the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't change anything about it. Everything you're doing from here on out, if it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.